Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Returning to our study through Peter's epistle. 1 Peter chapter 2. And this morning I'll be reading verses 18 through 25. Please give your attention to God's word. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In this chapter, we have been seeing, as Peter leads us, he's been showing us how we are to live. If we are who he said we are in chapters 1 and 2. Remember back in chapters 1 and 2, he's called us God's chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, citizens of the kingdom of light, of the kingdom of God who live in exile in this world. We are heirs of his kingdom. We are God's beloved people. If all that is true, how then are we to live? And as we move into this practical section of his letter, the key word As we saw last week, as we will see this week, and as we'll see next week, the key word in regard to our attitude as citizens of Christ's kingdom living in this fallen world, the key word is submission. Submission. Last week we saw that we are to submit to the governing authorities, to the civil authorities, to the government, to emperors, to governors. And this week... In the passage I just read, he talks about submission to masters, slaves to masters. Let me read it to you again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, a lot of translations don't use the word servants there, use the word slaves, and that's an appropriate translation of the term. When you hear the term, you hear the phrase, slaves, be subject to your masters, we who are Americans, wince. That's a hard teaching for us when we think about what slavery has been in the past, particularly in our own history, as well as what it is in many places in the present. It's a fascinating study, which I don't have time to get into this morning, to look at how the New Testament writers like Paul and Peter and John, how they address the issue 
of slavery. They didn't call for the overthrow of slavery in that first century society. Instead, what they did is they preached the gospel and taught the principles based upon the gospel that would ultimately overthrow slavery in history. But they had to deal with the people in the congregations that they were shepherding. And it wouldn't have done a whole lot of good for them to rail on and on about the evils of slavery and ignore the reality that they were speaking many, matter of fact, in some many congregations, most of the people in those congregations would come from that lowest class of society, from the slavery class. And so they could talk in ideals all the time about how wrong slavery is in principle, but that didn't change the reality that these slaves had to live with every day. Okay, great, I'd love to have slavery gone, but it may not, probably, and we know from history, didn't happen in their lifetimes. So how then should I live? I'm a member of the citizen, I'm a citizen of the, of the kingdom of God. I'm a beloved child of God. How do I live in my current situation? Well, it's also helpful to understand that when you think, when the Bible talks about slaves or servants, it's not addressing people in the same situation that many slaves in this country faced. Servants or slaves in the first century were bought and sold. They were property. They had no civil rights. And that is wrong. It's bad. But understand that their living situation was in many ways much better than what we think of as American slaves in our own history. They were, most of them, born into the slavery class. Their ancestors would have been probably conquered by the Romans. And as conquered peoples, they were brought into Roman society as slaves and treated as property. But the slaves in the day in which Peter is writing, most of them would have been born into the the wealthy households. Most of them were in wealthy households where they lived. And the jobs that they took on were, yes, many of them were menial tasks, but some of them were actually uh, professionals that we would understand. Uh, Some of them were doctors, some of them were nurses, some of them were uh, musicians, some of them were accountants, some of them were managers of estates. So they would have looked and acted and worked much like we would think of as professionals, white-collar workers, some of them today. Of course, again, still being the property of their wealthy owners. When I think of New Testament servants, it's helpful to me not to think of American slavery in the worst, and there were some American slaves that did live fairly well, but we all remember the stories of the mistreatment and abuse. But really, probably a better historical uh, parallel to first century Roman servants and slaves would be, if you're familiar with the very popular show now, Downton Abbey, um, you think of the servants in the castles of uh, the English countryside, the, 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 the castles in English society, those servants, the kind of life that they live would be much more similar to the typical life of a servant in first century Roman society. So again, it's helpful to have that context, that mindset when you think of servants and slaves. They were, most of them were paid at least some kind of a salary, and most of them could buy their freedom eventually if they were able to save up enough. So, again, I just wanted to give you a better historical way of looking at servants and slaves in the first century, but understand, keep coming back to the fact they were still property and they had no rights as citizens. 
So they were vulnerable. If they were had a good master, a good landowner that they worked for, then their life could be very good, better than your life or my life, some of them. But if they had a bad master, they had no recourse. They were stuck. And if a bad master mistreated them, they were property. He had every right to mistreat them. Now, here where Peter addresses Christian slaves or Christian servants, it's that mistreated group that he's focusing upon. Slaves that were being mistreated, being treated unjustly in some way or fashion by their masters. That's the group of people, Christian servants being mistreated. Well, it does raise the question before we dig into what Peter says to these mistreated servants, it does beg the question, how does this apply to us today? What relevance does this have to 21st century American culture? Well, if you go back and read commentaries, scholars, biblical expositors, listen to sermons, always this passage is applied to employees. It's applied to everyday common workers in our own society. Because everything that Peter says here to servants applies to anybody in the workforce, no matter where you serve. Again, Peter's drawing us back to that basic principle that we as Christians are to live in a way that is submissive to authority. And he applies it here to the workplace. And of course, mistreatment in the workforce didn't end when slavery was abolished in our country. Matter of fact, slaves, freed slaves, after the Civil War, you've heard the old stories about sharecroppers. Wealthy landowners would give freed slaves a piece of property that they could farm and live on, but they gave them dirt wages, took an inordinate amount of the profits from the harvest, and then charged the the freed slaves to... They had to buy their own tools. They had to buy their own seed. They had to buy everything. So basically, it was economic slavery. They still kept them bound in slavery. And these workers were badly mistreated. Fifty years later, in the coal industry, you hear some of the, the stories from the old coal industry, the same kind of thing happened. Remember, uh, you know, Tom last week talked about the old song, Rocky Top. The song I thought of this week is the old song, uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford sang a song called 16 Tons. Remember the, the words to 16 Tons? Let me remind you if you haven't heard that or if you're too young to have ever heard it. You load 16 tons of coal. You load 16 tons and what do you get? What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. In debt to who? In debt to the coal company. Same system as the sharecroppers. The, the lyrics go on to say, St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Now things are a lot better than they were back in those days. But there is still a lot of injustice in the workplace. Workers are still badly mistreated. And the whole battle between unions and management that we've witnessed over the last century or so is due to the fact that men are sinners, men are greedy, and the workplace is always going to be full of injustice. 
Many of you sitting here this morning face injustice in the workplace. It's hard for me to identify with that, you know, in my context where I work, go to work every day, you know, I don't have that kind of situation. Some of you have the privilege of being your own boss, but most of you live under authority and you face injustice living under authority. You have bosses with poor ethics and poor morals and they run the business that way. You have bosses that belittle you and disrespect you. You have bosses that make unreasonable demands upon you. You have bosses that take credit for your work. You have bosses that expect you to sacrifice your family and your personal life and your church life to the company. You have bosses that harass you in many different ways. And there are some of you that aren't in the workplace yet because you're still students, either at college level or graduate level or high school or even elementary or middle school. Understand that your calling, your vocation in life is a student, is as a student. And your workplace is the school and you're under authority, you're under teachers, you're under, under principals, you're under administrators, and you're going to see injustice. You're going to be treated unfairly. How do you deal with it? Well, again, the key here for Peter is to have a submissive, obedient, faithful attitude. That's what we're called to as Christians. And the stakes are very high. It's interesting, and I'd encourage you to do it. Go home and and take your Bibles and do a concordance study and look at everything the Bible says about servants and masters and apply it to your workplace. It's interesting how well the the passages dovetail. Let me read to you a couple of of verses. First of all, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 1, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Do you see what's at stake? How you work, especially how you work in a situation that's unjust. What's at stake in how you respond to that is the name of God and the teaching of the church. That's what's at stake. You are to be sure that the name of God and the teaching of the church is not reviled because of how you respond to the authorities in your workplace. Paul says to Titus in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, so that in everything they, the slaves, may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. That's your job every day when you go to work. You are to adorn, to to, uh, beautify the teaching of the gospel, the teaching of the church. That's what's at stake. Well, how are we then to be faithful in the workplace, especially in the face of injustice? How does faithfulness at work, especially in difficult circumstances, glorify God and adorn the gospel? Now, first of all, I'm going to say quickly, just assume that everything I say is based on the assumption that you as a suffering worker have taken advantage of all of the avenues you have to address the injustice. Thankfully, we do live in a free society, in many ways a good working situation in our society where you have avenues to address injustices. And, you know, the scriptures never expect us to just be a doormat and accept every injustice without any response. But 
the assumption is that you're in the place where these slaves are, where you've done that, you've tried to address it, it's not worked, and now you're stuck. You're just like a servant in Peter's day. You're stuck in a bad situation. How are you to live then? How are you to respond to the authorities over you? First thing Peter says, be faithful at work because God is the one that you ultimately serve. His first reason is that we are to be faithful at work because God is the one that we ultimately serve. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Mindful of God. Literally, in the original Greek, it says, because of your conscience toward God, you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Servants were to understand that over every earthly authority in their home or workplace, over every earthly authority was the authority of the God of all. And that ultimately their work was for Him and that submission to earthly authorities was ultimately submission to Him. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3, verse 22, here Paul addresses servants or slaves. He says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He's saying the same thing Peter is saying. Understand, be mindful of God. Be mindful of Christ. Understand that as you serve under earthly authorities in the workplace, you are ultimately serving the Lord. He is your ultimate boss. And if you think that way, you're not going to do what slaves were prone to do and what workers today are still prone to do, which is to serve with what he Paul calls eye service. Eye service is, in other words, serving only when the eye of your master is on you. Every worker has that temptation. If you serve, if, if the Lord is your ultimate master at work, then how faithful, how often are you going to serve well if you're going to serve only when the eye of your master is on you? The Lord sees all and knows all. So ultimately serving as unto the Lord, your earthly masters, means you're going to serve faithfully at all times that's your goal not only working when your boss sees you serving heartily as to the lord one of my early jobs in life when i was in college i had the same summer job every summer when i came home from college i worked for national fuel gas a natural gas company up in northwestern pennsylvania and the particular uh field operation where i worked My job with other men in in that uh, location, our job was to go out into the woods. We would drive for miles back dirt roads and then service roads. We would be miles away from civilization because we'd drive back into the woods where the wells were, where the natural gas wells were, and where the lines would run through through the woods. Our job was to maintain the wells and maintain the lines. We'd repair the leaks and bail the wells, and so that was the kind of work we did all summer. Well, the problem was... You know, you know what workers tend to do when you get outside of the boss's eyesight. 
we were way outside the boss's eyesight. So we would get out there and almost every worker I worked with, like I was a summer help, so it was hard for me to change anything. But you get out there and they would work hard for maybe two or three hours, try to get as much job to a, to a minimally acceptable level as they could, and then they'd shut down for the rest of the day. They'd play cards, they'd sleep in the truck, they'd go for a walk in the woods. Literally, I, my memory of those summers was we would work half a day and goof off half a day. And that's, you know, I understood that it, it, as, as a brand new believer at the time, it bothered me, but I lived with it. That was, you know, you know how slow the clock moves when you do that? It's amazing how long those summers were because we're just wasting time half the time. But it, very slowly, the realization came upon me, I didn't work for National Fuel Gas. I worked for the Lord. And I'm accountable to Him. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. You understand that when you serve well, you will be rewarded by the one who sees you at all times. And especially when you serve faithfully, when you're being treated unjustly. Understand that there is a special reward to those who serve well when you're suffering injustice in the workplace. There's a special reward for that. But it also helps you deal with the fact that you may have a boss who is very difficult to work for. It may, you know, in your sense of righteousness, it may really bother you that he's getting away with treating you and other workers in the company so badly. How do you deal with that day in and day out? Serve heartily as unto the Lord, understanding that he who is your Lord is also the Lord of your boss, whether he acknowledges him or not. That's why it says in verse 23, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, When Jesus suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Every day that you suffer injustice at work, you serve heartily as unto the Lord and entrust yourself to Him who judges justly. Knowing that the day of judgment is coming and that your unjust oppressive boss, whoever that is, will have to stand before him too. Every wrong will be made right. Every wrong will be punished, just as every faithfulness will be rewarded. That's why Paul goes on going back to Colossians 23. I left off with verse verse 24, where it's speaking to slaves. It says, you are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25, the very next verse says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he turns to address masters, and he says, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You see, that's your worldview as you go to work. Understanding that every earthly authority over you ultimately is under your Lord just as you are. And they will have to answer to Him for how they serve in that role. As Paul says, and this is the basic principle for every injustice we deal in life, especially in the workplace. In Romans 12, verse 19, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So maybe in the eyes of men you may look weak, 
when you submit to authority and injustice, but understand that in the eyes of God, if you're entrusting yourself to him, justice will be done, and you are trusting the fact that justice will be done. Second exhortation that Peter gives to slaves in difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances is this. Be faithful at work because you follow Jesus Christ. Because you follow Jesus Christ. Verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He says Christ gave you an example. Literally in the original Greek he uses an educational term there. An example. The word example is from the educational system of the first century. They had the same thing we had. I remember when I was in elementary school. Remember those... Um, they'd put lines on the paper for you when you're learning how to write, and then they'd have very light uh, tracings of the letters. And you could then, as little kids in first, second grade, you could trace over those letters and you'd learn how to write that way. That's, that's, they did that in the first century too, and that's the educational term that Paul or, or Peter uses when he says, Christ has left you an example. He has left you a tracing He's left to his footsteps for you to trace out, to follow after, to know what it means to be faithful as a servant suffering injustice. Paul says, this is your calling. No matter what you're going through at work, understand you are not a victim. Peter says to the slaves, you were called to this. God is sovereign. You are where you are because He has called you to this. Well, when were we called to suffer injustice? I don't remember that. When were we called to suffer injustice? Weren't we endowed by our Creator with inalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Don't we have a birthright to the American dream? Our calling is actually found in the Gospels. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Each of us is given a cross to bear by our Lord Jesus Christ. A cross to bear. What's a cross? Well, when you think of the tracing of the steps of our Lord, the cross is whatever suffering under injustice, obedience to the will of God requires of you. Each one of us has a calling from God. There's a path in front of us that God has called us to walk. And in that path, there are sufferings. In that path, there are injustices. And those sufferings and injustices are the cross that He has asked us to bear. And some of you are walking through those injustices and sufferings in the workplace. You are called to this. This is the cross that you are called upon to bear. We as believers, because Christ is Lord, we do not flee from suffering like the rest of the world does. We do not try to escape from suffering like the rest of the world does. We bear the cross and we do so in joy because of the Lord. Paul gives that attitude in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, where he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And keep in mind, when Peter talks about the example, the pattern, the footsteps that Christ has laid out before us for us to follow after Him and bear our cross, 
Peter was an eyewitness of the unjust sufferings of Jesus Christ. He had a vivid mental image of Christ being mocked by the crowds, being flogged with leather straps embedded with pieces of metal and glass and pottery. He had a visual image of Christ being beaten on the head and having his beard pulled out in fistfuls. He saw Christ crowned with a crown of thorns and mocked with a purple robe. He saw Christ nailed to the cross and lifted up on that cross to die. And with that memory in his mind, Peter described how Jesus responded to that unjust treatment. And he goes to the language of Isaiah 53. This passage in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 is exactly paralleled with Isaiah 53, that great passage of the suffering servant. He says, according to the language of Isaiah 53, he committed no sin. And you think your suffering is unjust. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Why? Because he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. How are you taking up your cross at work? How are you bearing the cross? And notice how Peter points to our mouths. When he points to the example of Christ, he points, he says that he committed no sin, and then he talks about how he didn't sin with his mouth. He didn't revile, he didn't threaten, he didn't deceive. He served, submitted faithfully. He bore his cross. Understand that your attitude of unsubmissiveness, of refusing to bear your cross in the workplace, is first going to show up in your mouth. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the whining, the complaining, the gossiping, the backstabbing, it's a sign of where your heart is. Are you bearing the cross? Are you following in the footsteps of Christ? Are you entrusting yourself to him who judges justly and seeking his reward? Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Look, We are to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And so, of course, Peter bringing up how Christ bore his cross leads us to the ultimate reason why we should serve faithfully even though we suffer unjustly at work. And that's his last reason. He says we are to be faithful at work because we belong to Christ. He has bought us. We are slaves to righteousness. We belong to Him. Jesus didn't only die as our example. He died as a sacrifice of atonement. He died in order to pay the price for our sins. That's what, again, Peter going back to Isaiah 53 and using the language of Isaiah 53, he talks about what the purpose of Christ's suffering at the cross was all about. He says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All that language is straight out of Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Many of the slaves that Peter is writing to 
Many of those slaves would have had lashes on their own backs. But they understand that by His wounds, we are healed. We are restored. We are made whole emotionally, physically, spiritually. We are reconciled to God. And now the Lord is our shepherd. So what Peter would say to anyone who's going into a difficult workplace, he's saying, contemplate the cross. Preach the gospel to yourself before you go to work in the morning. Preach the gospel to yourself as you drive to work in the morning. Preach the gospel to yourself as you face injustices in the workplace. Because when you remember what Christ did for you, what it tells you is two things. First of all, you are a sinner saved by grace. You are no better than your bosses. And there but for the grace of God, you would be doing the exact same thing they're doing. Secondly, you've been bought with a price. You do not owe your soul to the company. You belong to Christ. They do not own you. He owns you. He is your shepherd. He is the overseer of your soul. He is your reward, not your paycheck, not your status, not your title. He is your reward. So Peter says, if you're a child of God, if you're bought with the blood of Christ, if you're a citizen of Christ's kingdom living in exile here, submit. Submit to the authorities in your life. Submit to the authorities in your workplace. Submit to the authorities in your school. Because when you do that, the gospel is at stake. The name of God is at stake. The doctrine of the church is at stake. Because you represent the Lord whom you ultimately serve. It is God whom you ultimately serve. He will punish injustice and He will reward faithfulness. It is Christ that you follow. And He will teach you and enable you to bear the cross that He has asked you to bear. And you owe your soul to Him, not to your company. You see, it's Peter's instruction here that will cure the two biggest errors I see in the workplace among Christian servants. Either being a workaholic or being a sluggard. Serve heartily as unto the Lord because He has bought you at a great price. You belong to Him. That's the key to being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ even in a difficult workplace. Let's pray. Father, As we reflect on Peter's instruction here, we are humbled. We are convicted of our sins, the sins of our mouths, the sins of our actions, the sins of our attitudes. Lord, we come to you to be renewed again in your grace, to be reminded at the Lord's table that the price has been paid, that our sins are taken away, that we are not guilty in your sight any longer. We are seen as righteous in Christ. But Lord, help us to live out what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ, no matter where else we serve. Strengthen us for that task, we pray, through this meal, through your word, through the means of grace you have given to your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.